Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now from one perspective, it seems as if as the power of science rises, the influence of philosophy diminishes. Few people it seems, think about philosophy or read philosophy. And I'm often reminded and referred to an article that appears in Steven Weinberg's book, the chapter, I think was also published as, a, as an article somewhere, in his book, Dreams of a Final Theory. Now, Steven Weinberg, for those who don't know, was, is a Nobel Prize winning physicist from the University of Texas, I believe, who won a Nobel Prize for the electroweak theory. But anyways, he has a chapter in his book called Against Philosophy, where he really comes out and says that to physicists, the only value of philosophy is to protect physicists from other philosophers. And so there is this tendency, I think, in our modern world to, to denigrate philosophy as if it is some kind of foreign language. I was reading in the new issue of Watkins, Mind, Body, Spirit, an, an article, however, I came across. It's called We Are Born Philosophers by today's guest, Mark Balaban. And I was really impressed by this article because he gives a refreshing perspective on the concept. And one of the things that we're going to be discussing here is the notion that philosophy really begins with asking questions. And with this questioning stance, Mark has written another article uh, in a different magazine called Kindred Spirit Magazine, where he takes a new view on the conflicting paradigms of religion, spirituality, and science. So I thought this would be a lot of fun to sort of take a different perspective on these topics uh, with Mark. Now, he is a natural philosopher and, a, and an acclaimed author of several books, including his newest book entitled Courting the Future, Preparing for a Different World. It's really an attractive book. I just got it and I'm reading it. It's really well done. He, he left a successful career in the, in the music industry where he won two Queen's Awards to focus on his main interest, which is philosophy. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Philip. Okay, so so first of all, let's let's just set the table a little bit what led you to get into philosophy or to dive headlong in it from what seems like a, a different career beginning what led you to get into this area philip the the thing with me and philosophy is there's never been a separation there's never been a question of um getting into it being interested in philosophy because as I try and articulate in the article, it was part of the fabric of my very early life in growing up and having questions, mysteries, curiosities, searchings that I found that adults couldn't answer. And <clears throat> that love of wisdom, which, which is the etymological root of the word philosophy, that love of wisdom um, occurred in me at a very young age. So. The, the philosophical pursuit um, was systemic <clears throat> in me. I always wanted to know why. Why is the, out of all the questions that we can ask, um, what, you know, the WH questions I call them, why, what, where, who, when, um, the why one seemed, <clears throat> even from a young age, to be the most pressing, the most pivotal, the most first principle of questions. So that drove my, drove my passion into what we um, term philosophy, which these days is such a small box, um, which is why in the article I try and open it up 
um, because the gardener who wants to develop um, the best garden and tries to find the plants for the right acidity of soil and trees that go with this and marigolds that keep off pests from certain vegetables and gets into the whole art of it <clears throat> is developing their own philosophy. So my application of, of words is much more like philosophy or religion or spirituality has a much, much more integrated basis because that's the nature of personal development that I've done with myself to be more integrated. So I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, well, I think that that is, that is, I think, a great way to start because one of the things that you do in both of your articles and I think other of your writings is that you make note of the way uh, we, and, and by using the word we, I mean, I mean our modern culture, we tend to categorize things, label things, like, say, religion or philosophy. And we have this, this preconceived notion of what these terms are and then put them to the side as if, as if either they're not important or they concern a subject matter that we shouldn't be spending our time on. You know, to me, yeah. to me uh, the, the number one thing that drove me when I was studying philosophy and, and why I got into it is, and I think it's Aristotle uh, who said, philosophy begins in wonder. And each, yeah. each of us, it's pretty hard not to have that wonder moment at some point. And I think that by going down to the roots of the term, as you do, it really, I think it reconnects us to something that is inborn, as you say. And, and, and so I'd, I'd like you to, 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 to talk a little bit about, about what, what you have seen works to, to get people to reconnect with that sort of original innate quest to know. What, what have, in, our, in our modern culture, and you know, I just want to put this uh, additional point, you know, we're, we're, we're so distracted by by modern devices, technologies, and, and the and the all prevalent cell phone, that getting people to talk, to think about philosophy seems like coming from outer space. But but anyways, what what have you what have you learned works? Uh, I must say, uh, you know, you're there in Illinois, and I'm in here in London, and I'm smiling because I'm delighted with not only the question but how you frame the question, and I think actually what you raise here is really, really crucial, really crucial. And I'll try and give a best response because this area that we're journeying into now is, is not commonly understood, and there's a reason why it's not commonly understood. So if we rewind a bit to, you know, scientists that feel they're not religious and religious people who feel they're not scientific and philosophers who don't think either and all this kind of world uh, which you accurately describe, where people uh, put things into boxes, you ask yourself, why do they do that? W why is there such a division? Why is there such antagonism? Why is there such conflict? Where, why is there such triumphalism when someone in so-called science says, you know, uh, I've discovered all this and I'm in no way religious? All these kind of psychologies and attitudes and boxes. Why? 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 Why does it keep happening? Well, one perspective on it that's, that's very pivotal is to do with the mind and the brain. Most modern education is an activation mainly of the brain. We're crammed with facts. The brain loves it. The brain works like a computer. So it assimilates facts. We get applauded for knowing the Battle of Hastings was 1066. And the brain thrives off of it. It thrives off competition, stimulation. It's the most beautiful, beautiful computer. But without a presence of mind, it will end up boxing uh, things and disconnecting them from their original source. The brain is also a mortal part of our body, of our assembly. It dies when we die. The mind is made of completely different energies. And the, the mind and the brain 
are a marriage made in heaven. They're meant to work together. As we grow up, um, you know, the brain will assimilate its references, um, learn its lessons, and the idea is, certainly in is that you then develop your mind. You make up your mind. You develop a presence of mind so that you're not in two minds or that you don't become bloody-minded and all these kind of things. So with that presence, you've got an overview. Without the mind active and functioning, you don't have an overview. So everything looks separate. Oh, that's science. So when we say science today, we have the most ridiculous preconceptions about what science is, you know, but a child looking at how um, a caterpillar metamorphoses into a butterfly and actually works it out and looks at the different life cycle going on in their backyard in the pond is activating, activating their scientific capability. <clears throat> and at the same time, their care for that garden, their care for the planet is activating a religious inclination in them and their spirit can then flare into that. So, but the way I'm talking now, and this whole area, it can become a minefield when you're facing someone who is really only coming at it from their brain. And everything that you say, they are compartmentalizing as you say it. Oh, this is this, oh, that is that. And they do that because of the insecurity of genuinely going into the unknown, which is what the mind loves. The mind's not interested as a first principle in what it already knows, whereas the brain is quite happy to have an exchange, have an interview like this, and just exchange in what, in what they already know, in what they can already do. So I think, you know, I mean, I could, I'm going to pause in a moment, but one last thing I'd say about this is that... Um, I'm trying to offer one perspective on, you know, why this happens and what's also driven me in the personal development of myself um, to develop the higher faculties, which is mind, which works with the mentality, which allows that, that creates the pathways for the spirit to work um, and settles the soul in the soul's function. The whole thing is an integrated, if we could see the unseen of a human, and some people can, and I've seen parts of the unseen worlds of a human, that beautiful energy system that you're looking at is the part that is there to be developed, to give the overview, to give the understanding, to glean the wisdoms, and then, you know, some of that, those facts get translated in a way that the brain can use and apply into daily living. But the relationship between the mind and the brain is a crucial one in this dialogue. Are you, are you referring to um, the, the notion that with, with the mind, we are always searching for higher ground or, bro or a broader perspective? We're trying to uh, sort of figure it out and and reach and search search out uh, following our hearts, our desires, our spiritual quest, etc. Where where with the brain, it's 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 more like a, a superficial or a, or a surface activity, where it's more like catalog cataloging facts and processing information as opposed to taking that more deep-seated view. Is that, is, that where, is that what you're referring to? That? Yeah, okay. that's, uh, that's close to it. Okay. And one, one of the easiest ways to get to it is to think, okay, what is the difference between a truth and a fact? Yeah, that's good. Now, the answer to that is actually very simple and very important. A fact is an end result. The fact is that I, Mark Balabon, am speaking to you, Philip. That's a fact, okay? Right. The truth is where the cause is. So I'm saying words, that's a fact. You can record them, write them down. But the truth is, 
to be found in what's causing those words. Is it because I want to impress you? Is it because I want to say something intelligent? Is it because I want to share a wisdom that I've come to? That's the realms of the truth. And as you're saying, that's where the mind gets activated. That's where the mind comes into play. The brain isn't interested in the truth. And we have a human race, the vast majority of which are educated in a way to stimulate the brain with facts. So the interest in truth, the search for truth, is is often stunted, um, you know, by the time puberty arrives, is often stunted. So what then happens is, and what's unfortunately happened on the surface of this planet, is people think that if something is viable, it must be valid. Now, viability, the brain is, you know, is, is great at looking at viable. It's viable to you know, dig down into the planet and rip up all of the resources. That's absolutely viable. The brain looks at it and says, great, jobs, growth, money. Yeah, let's do fracking. Let's, you know, let's, let's do anything. Let's pull it all out until there's nothing left. So the brain, you know, if it's left to its own devices, is only looking at different facts and then will bring in other facts to prove those facts. But the truth is, and minds that have been trained and developed to search for the truth will not just look at viability but will look at validity is this valid the mind asks those kind of questions is this actually valid and of course you know it wouldn't take long giving the example that i've given um for a mind to say well hold on a second if we've got spiraling uh, population explosion <clears throat> and you know, we just keep doing this, there obviously isn't going to be so-called resources for future generations. So the mind says, no, absolutely not. Uh, but the mind is looking for the truth, and, uh, and the truth lies in the cause, and you've got to be able to be willing or have the development to go to where the truth is. Sometimes it's very simple, um, but in other areas, it's it's work, you know, and that's the work we're put here to do. We're not put here just to assimilate facts, pass tests, um, and go, you know, succeed at some university. We're we're put here to go to the university of life, and look at this world around us, look at the world inside us, and discover what the truth is. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with with Mark Balaban about. We are born philosophers. He's the author of the new book, Courting the Future, Preparing for a Different World. And we're discussing this contrast between the mind and the brain. And, you know, one of the things I really like about your approach, which I think is extremely healthy, is to sort of strip away preconceptions of terms and try to get mm. to the root of, of it all. Because one of my things is science and what science means and how we get locked into preconceptions of of science particularly in our in our modern world where we have a very materialistic uh, uh, bending scientific framework but in but with regard to this mind brain dichotomy what what I take from this is that the mind is is sort of connected to a greater purpose, to sort of a longer-term uh, entrenchment, always looking for the bigger picture. And if we don't carry that with us, then we become sort of short-term decision makers. We, 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 yeah. we, we base things upon, upon what is working today. And as, as we know, there's no better example of that than than politics, where the politicians, they need to do what's going to get them elected uh, the next session or, 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 or the next uh, period. And so it's this constant struggle we have between, between acting in the world and succeeding, but looking out for the greater purpose. And so I hmm. think that, that that is something I think is, is, is missing. Now, you do something that I think is is ex is extremely helpful in in this approach, uh, Mark, where where you get to the root 
of these concepts and and you take on and we've already touched upon it a little bit but this this sort of uh, uh, triparate uh, battle between religion spirituality and science and I think philosophy fits in there as well but I'd like to talk about your approach to try to to come up with a different paradigm to these concepts and weave it in with what we've been talking about from the from the philosophical standpoint in in your article in uh, Kindred magazine you uh, you say this you say that the three terms religion spirituality and science are probably the most misunderstood misinterpreted and mistreated words in the world can you elaborate upon that yes I can um, Philip, the, the, the human is designed to be multiple and as we were saying with the mind that's the world of the mind the mind is um, the mind doesn't rely on what it succeeded in yesterday the mind is searching for truth and searching for um, is headlong into the real unknown of life from where the great discoveries happen um, and that will be passed on uh, when some of the facts of that come through that will be passed on to the brain um, but we, the modern world that we're living in the reality of the times that we're living in um, and people often say to me okay Mark, well, what are you are you a philosopher or an author or even the book I wrote prior to Caught in the Future was called Why is the Human on Earth and I did a large lecture in New York and um, I came out in the middle of this uh, hall f filled with uh, people with four boxes and I said well look here's the question I've been asking since I was eight years old why is the human on earth and I've got these boxes here one is called philosophy is it a philosophical question one is religion is it a religious question one and so on I have these four boxes and people and I said well so what box do you think we should discuss it from and I went through each box and someone said it was a philosophical question someone said it was religious some said it was a scientific question and so on and then I threw all the boxes away deliberately as a theater to demonstrate that it just doesn't work like that nothing works like that philosophy religion science all of them are as integral to the human as your liver your heart your kidneys the whole is overlapping functioning integrated with differences of level or differences in the fields of references but they all overlap and the thing is to be a good scientist it's going to be impossible to be a good scientist unless you have uh, a strong spiritual drive unless you have um, there's a religion in the way that you lead your life in the way you treat people in the way you treat yourself unless you have a philosophy of life um, that makes uh, for a good scientist um, as you know you can get an expert and this is what the brain does in in the modern times we live in we get experts so you get say a dermatologist who's an expert in skin but the thing is to understand the skin you're going to have to study about a dozen related areas um, to do with your mindset, to do with your psychology, stress levels, anxiety, how you sleep, where you sleep, dust levels in your room. I mean, a whole... But if you go to a dermatologist with something like eczema, they'll be quickly looking for the hydrocortisone cream because <laughs> that's how the brain works. Right. Problem, answer, problem, answer, problem, answer. You know, an energy shortage, answer, fracking. You know, whatever it is, that's the way the brain works so there's no higher system at play now one, other, one last thing I'll say before I pause on this one is that yes as I say in the kindred spirit article the, these three terms particularly because they because the areas of philosophy religion and science are so charged so potent so important to the natural human development that what happens is that if a person isn't doing an integrated development 
if a person hasn't discovered that you know everything on this planet is interconnected the human the animals flora fauna the air the molecules the atom the whole thing is integrated we're made of stardust the whole you know everything if if come to that wisdom then all these things will be boxed and the example of it is or the exa one ex one of many examples that i could give with this is that you get you know very few leaders in this world have ever won respect ever won respect because people don't trust most of their leaders why because they don't have a religious spiritual or philosophical or scientific basis to them as so they don't stand on principle for example they just you know work work out what will get the votes for the next four year term not all of them but a, a lot so the thing is but someone will trust you know a Nelson Mandela or a Mahatma Gandhi because they feel that these people have actually integrated in themselves their life is more integrated in themselves mandela discovered forgiveness you know forgiveness is a religious a religious quality it causes the spirit to come alive and get liberated it becomes a philosophy you know of forgiveness and and a way of life and therefore those kind of leaders instill an instinctive or intuitive trust in other people because those different realms those potent realms fields of human endeavor have become alive in them and integrated there are different nuances to philosophy and religion absolutely and we could we could look at those different aspects that article you mentioned highlights some of them but actually at core they're driven by the same motivation to discover life to find truth and to fulfill the purpose that you put here for they're all driven by that whether it's being scientific to know something being religious to live the life of it being spiritual in allowing the potent faculty of the spirit to have access throughout one's systems um or whether it's your you know developing a philosophy in life they're all driven by that same inherent urge which you have to liberate yourself um to actually discover uh what the the first premise of living in is you know when you think about it that uh to me i think it it does all begin with philosophy and we don't even have to use the word you know the terms and i i like to uh you know i practice law as well and i sort of try to do the same times with law which is sort of begin everything with a clean slate an open mind per, you know pretend as if there isn't any law well what's the right thing to do and if you if you use that same kind of mindset to approaching the mystery of existence in other words don't get caught up with well what what religion are you in what am i supposed to believe uh, i don't understand what spirituality is i don't understand what the science guy is saying if you if you simply throw those terms out and sit down and open your mind and say well and ask ask your why questions it i think it turns out uh mark that you wind up at the spot where you're advocating which is yeah. it really it really is a unified a unified experience and i think that you know this 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 idea that we are so into labels uh and categorizing things and putting things in your boxes as you say which i think is a great example that we tend to ignore part of human experience and not only that but we wind up having these unnecessary debates battles and even wars over over disagreements that are that are rooted in misunderstandings and and so i so i think that to me if you really want to start this i would say take take away all the labels i mean what you do is you go to the meaning of the terms you know philosophy love of wisdom science to know and and religion connecting you know spirituality an uplifting urge if you just don't start with don't start with the preconceived notions start with the wonder and then and then go from there and i i think that that is something that is missing because the other side of this and that 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 sort of is one of my um bugaboos uh 
is that we, if you don't go through this process, in other words, if you don't go through that questioning process yourself, you wind up with a default belief. It, it really, it really, it, it's, it's always amazes me. People like Steven Weinberg or these other uh, scientists say, well, I, I, don't, I don't believe in philosophy. Well, you're, well, well, actually you do because your philosophy is that you don't believe in philosophy. So you really do have a <laughs> philosophy. So, so, it's, it doesn't, so it doesn't matter. If people don't think they care about philosophy or it's not important, well, they actually do think about philosophy and your philosophy is you don't care so 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 it really is it really is something that that um you know we we need to find a way to break down this this labeling technique you know this this uh and get at the root of things and it's one thing that i i really thought i really thought was um was helpful about about your approach and i i'd like you to talk about religion a little bit because you know you use the word charged and of all the terms that are charged right now with all this all this uh, meaning it religion's the big one so so what do you think is the problem with the way our modern culture approaches religion i like to just i like to just talk a little bit about what the problem is and what do you think we can do about re-understanding religion well uh philip it's um it's a very good question uh because as you say i mean i had a, a chat with my brother-in-law uh, a while ago and we started to talk about religion and uh and he said oh don't talk to me about religion you know it's caused all these massive wars you know the destruction of whole tribes villages nations and then I turned to him and I said, what's that got to do with religion? Right. It's got absolutely nothing to do with religion. Um, so the first thing that we need to do is put aside the categorization almost with a finality, uh, a, a serious finality, to put aside the categorization that religion is are you Jewish, Catholic, Christian? Do you believe in God? Do you not believe in God? You really have to put that down with a finality. And as you say, you start with a blank sheet of paper. And curiously, Philip, it was in something that you said which has got to be the starting point. And I, I couldn't really emphasize this enough. Um, and I'll come at what I want to say in a, in a, in a slightly... Um, uh, traveling a slightly more scenic route than the kind of route one. And that is that when you look at, you know, the most extraordinary civilizations that have happened on this planet, if you look at ancient Egypt, um, I've been a student of ancient Egypt as, as one of the great civilizations for many years. Most extraordinary uh, civilization, culture, movement of human beings um, with some beautiful mysteries inherent at the core of what they do. And yet, if you really become a student and you watch um, the kind of slow degeneration uh, of um, you know, what it was that they stood for, um, and you notice, for example, you know, the degeneration from, say, some of the higher kings, some of the... Um, more connected, more illumined kings, like King Zosa, for example, through to uh, the more, um, let's put it uh, kindly, self-advertising kings like Ramesses II. You watch this kind of gradual degeneration where the person, the ego, um, becomes the most preeminent thing, and they start to, as R.E.M. said in their famous song, they start to lose their religion. Um, and they do. And what does all that pivot on? Is it some major complicated thing? No. What it pivots on, usually, is familiarity. People become familiar with what they are, what they have, and they start to treat themselves first as ordinary. They start to treat themselves with a certain lack of respect. And it's like the chapter in The Courting the Future, you know, everything that we do to ourselves, we do to this planet. 
So the fact that there's so much toxins in, on this planet is because we treat ourselves and each other in very toxic ways, which have to overspill onto this planet. Now, so therefore, if you want to look at the starting place for religion, you have to put aside the categorizations, put aside the familiarity that has been developed, and you hear this in many interviews, where people assume they know what they're talking about when they say religion or science. Everyone assumes they know what they're talking about. But the truth is, no, because the point that you were making earlier about wonder, now, that's where it begins. The awe, and I have a chapter in my previous book called Why is the Human on Earth? Um, and the first chapter is called To Be in Awe and Appreciate Life for what it is. That's where religion starts. That is the pivotal place. And it's a million trillion miles away from what most people consider religion to be. Now that's where it starts. It's, it's, it evolves from there. But without that, and children have it, children have that. But the one way to kick that out of their system is shove their face in front of a screen from a very early age and teach them to depend on an alternative technology than their own inner human technology. Not that I'm against modern computerized technology per se, but to the extent where it's got to now, it's become an addictive must-have series of items which are educating young minds and old minds alike away from themselves, away from their religious feelings. Um, and these feelings of awe and appreciation, because how are you going to appreciate the beauty of a tree if you can just Google it in two seconds? Well, yeah, you'll Google the facts about a willow tree, but try standing under a willow tree and experience the feeling of being in the presence of a willing tree. If that doesn't strike you with awe and wonder, then you really have disconnected from that religious, inherent, natural uh, flow of energy that we, we were born into, that we had as children, and often uh, from a very young age, it's, we're trained out of it. This is Philip so, Camella. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Mark Balaban, the author of Courting the Future and many other uh, books and articles, in, including Why is the Human on Earth? And we're delving into some really important questions on philosophy, religion, science, and spirituality. And I, I wanted to uh, put a, a, a little point on top of what you just said about TVs and, and uh, the lack of wonder that a overemphasis on modern technology brings about. Because, you know, Mark, I think it's all connected. One of the, one yeah. of the things that one of the things that I one of the truths that I have is that there's only so many hours in a day. And another way to put it is that there's so many good hours in a day. And I use that for my my uh, legal work because I know it's, it's just like writing too. I'm sure that you have the same issue. I only have so many good hours where I'm actually doing anything worth worthwhile. I, mean, I cannot. I'm not a machine. I need to rest. Uh, I need I need to um, get away from from work, whether it's writing, whether it's researching or whatever. But during the day, if if TVs and technology dominates the mental attention, not only does it lead to giving short shrift to the awe and the wonder of nature, but I think that it might be a reason why a lot of people categorize, classify, label those things because they don't have time to think about them. It's like, well, yeah. religion, religion's out there. Well, I'm too busy figuring out the new Xbox game, whatever it's called. Um, and, and so, therefore, that's all fine and good. Uh, I need to figure this out. It's not, just, it's not just computers and TVs. It's a lot of things. You know, it's, it's a job that is, that is, um, that is just too uh, demanding, or, or too intrusive. Um, it, it's, it's, it may be uh, the stress of family life. There's all, these, there's all these things. But again and again, I go back to the same uh, 
starting point, and both of them are in Greek philosophy. We already touched upon philosophy, get, philosophy begins in wonder, but then there's the famous one, good old Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. And you put those two together, and that's basically where you need to start from. And I, I just hope that with 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 shows like like mine, I hope, and books like yours, uh, my own writing, and so many other people are doing this, that we we make we help make people stop for a moment and reconsider some of this stuff and realize that it looks as if we're only going to have one one life to get it right. I mean, we could put reincarnation off to the side and, and life after death and all that kind of stuff, but we know we have at least one life. And and I'm I'm really uh sort of emphatic about focusing on this one life and getting it right. Um so so I think that you know, this is this is extremely this is extremely important. Um I, I the other connection I want to make here because I want to segue into into science a little bit uh, that I think is extremely helpful that you do is I happen to think that scientists are mostly what I would call pantheists which 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 are people that think that nature is God and I think I call them closet pantheists and the reason the reason why that's the case is that every time I I try to get to the bottom line with these guys, like what they really think, like Richard Dawkins, he he believes that there's a wonder to nature, that there's a magic. You know, his last book was the magic of reality. Um, natural selection is is the big one. I mean, from from Charles Darwin. Well, what nature is doing the selecting? And then, of course, you have Einstein, who, you know, you quote him, and, and many, and he has so many good quotes on this, where, where it's something like, you know, um, you find religion at the end of science, or something like that. But, but I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about um, moving, you know, the segue into into science, and how you think that we have misunderstood science as well. Well. <clears throat> Philip, the, uh, the, you know, this whole uh, journey that we're having in this interview, um, it all connects up. And this particular uh, question to do with science quite specifically, because um, often when you mention science, people go outside of themselves. They think about laboratories. They think about, you know, e experiments done in some room somewhere. Or they think about looking at something through a microscope or a telescope, but they don't begin inside. They don't begin with the science of how a human works. And that is one of the most unexplored and most important sciences of all. The science, for example, that many of the philosophers that you quote um, entered into under the mantle of know thyself. Now this is where science, this is where true science begins. If you think about the science of know thyself and you look at the universe of a human being and the extraordinary science, if you look at how mitochondria works, if you look at how uh, DNA and its relationship with RNA, um, you know, the science of the human which is made in connected partnership to this universe is the most important scientific place to start because if you don't start from inside yourself you constantly view life science and everything science is a subject you study in university and all the rest of it and you miss the whole point and therefore you don't actually, like in the etymological root of the word science, you don't actually get to know yourself. Science, skire, to know. You don't actually get to know yourself or to know the planet or to know anything, really. All you're actually discovering, you're going to discover, is mechanics. The real genetic engineering, for example, is that that the mind can naturally do with the rest of the system in programming it, in um, liberating it, 
That's the real genetic engineering, and it's a very good example because when you say to someone the science of genetic engineering, they immediately look at, you know, humans modifying uh, genetic expression, genetic behavior, and so on. Now, this is brains gone mad. This is, this is, this is brains that have long since abandoned a mindfulness and are looking to uh, dissect, cut up, because that's how they are inside. They're a disconnected brain looking at, say, you know, the nucleus of a cell, thinking, oh, viability. You know, we could do this. We could modify this crop. We could make it pest resistant. We could, um, you know, uh, the discovery of the human genome, for example, I think probably the second biggest scientific worldwide project of our lifetime, second probably only to the, um, you know, the Large Hadron Collider in CERN. And there it was. They discovered the human uh, genome. Uh, they opened the book and no one can read it. Yeah. No one can, because it's integrated. You can't start messing around with bits and pieces as they are now discovering, for example, with genetically modified crops. You can't, it, it, nothing happens in isolation. So you can do one thing here, but there will be a consequence to it. And so therefore, the true science has to start with a know thyself, because if you did, you'd start to know a lot more about not just yourself, but other people, the planet you live on, the universe that you're part on, and one thing that would um, overspill from that is a natural respect. You would learn how to respect yourself, you learn how to respect other people, you learn how to respect this planet, and you wouldn't even contemplate, you wouldn't even contemplate, even entertain the concept of splicing around with human genes to try and create some kind of whatever for profit, uh, you wouldn't dream of, of smashing around and building 27-mile round uh, uh, particle accelerators to, to get into sub... It, it, it wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't conceive of those things. Why? Because you wouldn't have to smash things to pieces to understand them. You wouldn't have to dissect life to understand it. You would see that you're an integrating part of it, and therefore your science faculty which has to use the mind and mentality as an overview and also as a moral compass to the brain because without the mind and mentality, the brain just does its own thing and it considers itself to be God of its own particular domain. And it will use all sorts of altruistic justification to um, justify whatever, um, you know, whether it's jobs, money, um, you know, saving people's lives, anything will come into it. But ultimately, um, if, if a person is able to discover the science of knowing themselves, understanding themselves, they will understand other people and this world a lot better. And there will be a much more natural harmony because you won't have to strive for the harmony. You won't have to fight for the harmony. There will be a harmony because you're being yourself, which is maybe the most ultimate science of all. Yeah, well, I think that it's it, it's really enlightening, I thought, to, to show how science, as you say, begins with to know, and that means to know about life itself, which sounds a lot like the beginning of philosophy. There, there's not a lot of difference there, but we, we have sort of again labeled and categorized science now to be to be really the investigation of the machine and I think that things like the Large Hadron Collider where where folks some folks claim that they found God in a particle and as far as I know very few people actually uh, had a religious experience because of that the, all they all they did was smash a couple particles together and and believe that they found you know an ultimate particle and we could say the same thing about quantum theory where to me it disproves sort of this materialistic assumption the the point here is that we is that we have let certain folks sort of uh, command the definition of science 
to to make it appear as if it is it is it is something other than knowing ourselves and knowing the big picture and i think that that is sort of where i hope this paradigm shift is heading towards which is that if we take the more uh open-minded uh broader perspective we realize that you really cannot understand the physical world without understanding yourself and you know mm. and, I, and I'm sure that you have studied this and I as I, I finished an article yesterday uh, and uh, that I actually I think is being submitted to Watkins that uh, the the early uh, scientists or the scientists in early 20th century they they knew that they were separating the physical world in order to study it but what they wound up doing is they started treating this the the outside world as an object as an independent creation from the self and 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 that's i think what has defined the progress of science up to the present day is sort of separating the self this very thing we need to know we separate it from the physical world and yet at the end of the investigation as quantum theory shows and other and we can get, and there's other features of this we find out that we're looking at ourselves <laughs> we found out or we find out that we're looking at something that's that's greater that's part of this holistic web uh, and so so i think that you know the, the way you approach it which is which is sort of the same thing but you break down the terminology and you basically say hey stop this labeling folks let's approach it with the full power and all the all the um, senses and all and all the um, forces of the human uh, being and now let's try to understand what we're doing um, the, the the one thing that I really really resonated that really resonated with me that I'd like you to, to focus to touch upon a little bit here that I'm a big fan of is that you connect the scientific inquiry with spirituality and a lot mm. of people would not do that and I like I'd like you to to talk a little bit about why you think as you quote i mean you say without reasoning logic experimentation and knowledge religion and spirituality become blind faith can, mm. can you can you talk about the connection that you make between science and spirituality and why you think that they are related well <clears throat> um a simple example to start with is there's a lot of debate about the left and right hemisphere of the brain. And some people feel that they're two different natures, some people feel that that's not scientifically been proven and so on. But actually, if you go inside, if you relate to your own experience, you'll begin to discover that there actually is two different natures in the same way as the force fields of a human being have to two different polarities, two different natures, um, you know, the positive and the negative. Um, and it's true with the force that comes out of your hands. Some people think that's science fiction. Um, but, you know, if you only use your hands for sending text messages, you'll never develop the inherent sensitivity within the hands. Um, the same as people regard clairvoyance and telepathy as, as science fiction. Um, but when you develop your own uh, complex, your own assembly, your own faculties, um, it's very straightforward. They're very natural uh, arts and capabilities that a person has. So um, the, the science and spirituality, like the, the left and the right uh, part, uh, side of the, the brain, are absolutely inseparable. Um, you know, the left part will be more prone to um, a scientific um, logic reasoning um, about things. The right part will be more prone to uh, a creative, spiritual uh, kind of process. But even that analogy only goes so far because you then have to bring in a higher faculty than, than the brain. Um, and you're also going to have to bring in other parts of the brain as well, like the cerebellum and the limbic system and, and so on. But um, the, the, so these two are absolutely inseparable and, and probably 
the best way to look at it is through an example, uh, an example that you know everyone can relate to. Um, and <clears throat> one of the examples that my mind goes straight to, and it is my mind that goes straight to it, um, is the example of feelings. Now, <clears throat> we all have feelings. <laughs> um, I think we probably believe that feelings and emotions are the same thing, um, but they overlap, but they're actually very different. Um, but let's stick to feelings. Um, now, <clears throat> the spiritual feelings that, you know, I, I sometimes in, in the talks that I do, um, I ask people, you know, what was the most, what you would call spiritual experience that you can recall live at this moment? Hmm. And it's a very good question because, in, and in, you know, asking that question over several years, um, I haven't actually found a person who wasn't actually able to touch something deep inside of them that they felt was a genuinely spiritual experience where that deep, deep part of them got illumined, got ignited, fled through their whole systems, filled them up. Um, it may have been the spirituality of love. It may have been the spirituality of compassion. It may have been the spirituality of forgiveness because spirituality has so many different colors and, and variations to it. But most people, if they're asked that question, will have experienced um, a very high spiritual moment in their life, which took them beyond themselves, beyond their small world, beyond their preoccupation with, um, you know, their latest problem. Now, where science becomes an integrated part of that is to not just take note of those feelings, those, say, those spiritual feelings, but to understand what, what would cause them, what would facilitate them, what would allow them, because they are natural for a human being to have those kind of high feelings, you know, as opposed to the kind of cheap and cheerful feelings that most of us live on every day, which is, you know, I feel good because I had a nice cappuccino or something, or right. I, I, you know, I felt good after having watched those movies. I'm talking about a higher level of feelings in which you're going to need a higher level of science. Because if you had that, my first one started when I was eight years old that I can consciously remember. And what happened at the same time, interestingly, was the science part of me switched on at the same time as in the back garden of my parents' house, I was having this experience which was just, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't grasp it, I couldn't understand it, but I, I knew deep inside it had that spiritual, well, in later years I realized it had a very deep spiritual nature to it. But the scientific side of it, which was going on at the same time, was why? What, what does this mean? Because part of that experience was, I was my, my mind at eight years old, a young boy of eight years old, was asking himself the question of how did everything begin? And my mind kept making leaps like, you know, it didn't begin with my parents. It didn't begin with um, the solar system. It didn't begin with the galaxy that I'm part of here, this Milky Way galaxy. So where did it begin? And the Big Bang is, is a kind of brain theory about it all. So what's the truth behind that? And my mind was, was struggling because, it, you know, it left the confines of my brain because my brain couldn't deliver up the answer. So my mind was searching and it started to get very scientific about it. And it started to bring in analysis and reasoning and comparison and experimentation, even from that young age. So those spiritual feelings and the scientific aspect married. Now, sure, it wasn't very conscious in me at eight years old, but it was, if I can use some, I love language, it was inchoate. Yeah. It was nascent. It was just beginning. 
And um, from there on, you know, my quest, which ends, leads right up to having this conversation with you today, was finding a fuller expression of that and also living the life of it. Because for me, the best form of leadership is exampleship. Right. You know, you lead that life of it in which the, 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 the spiritual and the scientific become absolutely inseparable. And, and that example maybe uh, helps characterize it. Yeah, that, I, think, I think that is a, a really good way to put it. And believe it or not, we've come to the end here. <laughs> this is a very fast, right. a very fast hour. I, 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 I like to um, sort of throw in this at the end because there's there's these are all rich topics but we sort of go in a big circle depending on and you could start from any perspective you could start from the religious spiritual scientific or philosophical perspective but it seems to me you wind up at the same spot which is a the sense of wonder the one thing that has that that has always really again resonated with me there is this uh, article by Eugene Wigner a physicist from last last century it's called the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics and what he was saying he was he was making this comment about about well isn't it strange the way mathematics works so well in describing the universe and when you think about it that is a really an amazing fact why why is it that this this supposed random explosion this chaos of the Big Bang led to a universe where it takes mathematical equations to describe it something doesn't sound right there and to me that leads to the spiritual part of science the wonder of why is it that we can so accurately describe the world, talk about the world? Why do the theories work? Why is it finely tuned? Why, why do we live in this harmonious place? And, and so at the end of science, I think, is spirituality. And I, and I, and I think that that's why I, I really agree with the way you approach it, where this is sort of a unified approach. You wipe out the labels science, spirituality, religion, philosophy, you approach it with a sense of awe and use the tools that we have, reason, logic, experimentation, love, all this stuff, and you wind up coming to the spot where you have now a greater appreciation um, for the world we live in. Mark, I know that we have a lot more to talk about, and we could hopefully do this again because we've left so many topics uh, unwrapped. But I want to thank you for being with us. Now, I'd like you to just to maybe give a couple final comments. And for people who want to know more about what you're doing, why don't you just, just uh, tell the listeners a couple more things? Well, uh, maybe I'll answer that because I know we've run out of time. But maybe I'll answer that in um, a slightly tangential way. Um, if people want to discover more about um, th these areas, these important areas that we've been talking about, um, for myself, that's one of the reasons that I write, um, to make some of these ideas and also the practicals that go with it uh, accessible and available. Um, and so, you know, the two books that you mentioned, Caught in the Future and Why is the Human on Earth, uh, are excellent starters where that's concerned. And I thought before we uh, go, there's a, there's a very short thing here from Why is the Human on Earth, which to me in a way brings together many of the threads that we've been talking about into an example of almost a lost art uh, where humans are concerned. Um, it's an art that combines... Um, a lot of science, uh, a lot of spirituality, and a lot of religion into one. And it's the art of listening. And so let me just read this very brief sure. um, passage from Why is the Human on Earth? The light softened, 
the talk eased. The pain of trying to be something else retreated. We sat and looked at each other, softly, kindly, through the eyes of no difference and a longing for peace of mind. One woman, one man, many worlds to discover, many thoughts to feel, many hurts and wonders to understand. And suddenly, the stillness shone, a ruby light upon a jewel of knowing that we could heal each other's worry and praying pain simply through the gift we gave each other of listening. That's great. Mark, thank you so much for that, and thanks a lot for being here. Uh, I will try to convince you to do this again in a little bit. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.